Hello and welcome to the Research Connection Podcast, the show that brings current expertise and cutting-edge research and connects it with users in the community. So welcome to this BU Cares podcast on rural men's mental health. My name is Candice Waddell-Henowich, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatric Nursing in the Faculty of Health Studies here at Brandon University. Just before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that we are on Treaty 1 and Treaty 2 land within the Brandon University community, and we honor the gifts and the knowledge that the treaty holders have within this territory. So specifically the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Assiniboine, Dakota, and Dene peoples. This is also the homeland of the Métis Nation. So with that, I'd like to welcome my partner in crime for this webinar podcast today, Janet Smith, if you could just introduce yourself to the audience. Sure, thanks, Candice. My name is Janet Smith. I'm the Manager of Community Outreach for Clinic Community Health. That's Clinic with a K, and specifically with farm, rural, and northern populations. So basically anyone outside of the city of Winnipeg I do mental health promotion and community outreach, uh, working with a wide variety of, of populations within this beautiful province of ours. That's a huge portfolio. You listed a bunch of different things there, but the thing that I really picked out on that was just the idea of mental health promotion and specifically how that, how that works within rural environments and rural communities. So when you think about the words mental health, what do you think about? Oh, that's a good, that's a wonderful question. I'm sure there's, there are people with better definitions than I do, but I, when I think of mental health, I don't think of it in terms of mental illness so much. I think of it in terms of the things that, that make you well, which is very individual and can change over time. So, you know, you know this as well as I do, the good work of Corey Keyes, when it comes to that, looking at the, the continuum between mental health and mental illness, and that we can have diagnosed mental illness and still be mentally well. You know, ultimately we can have no diagnosis and be languishing or so flourishing and languishing are the terms that, that he uses in his study. But I think that, you know, so often we get stuck on that when we think of mental health as being, you know, an Ill, at illness related and that we're always, you know, in that languishing place, which in fact, you know, at any given time, and I think certainly now more than ever during COVID, you know, we're all on that Corona coaster, as you, if you will, every single day, there are things that come up that impact all of us, uh, both the silver linings parts of it. And um, I was commenting before as a, as an ambivert or someone who falls in between the introvert and extrovert scale, there've been parts of this that uh, for me, uh, personally have have actually kind of worked but you know we all need people we all need connection and um, there's parts of it of course that that make it more difficult and I think that everybody experiences this differently you know from any given moment to any given moment so our mental health is fluid I think our mental health is um, is important and um, certainly we'll we'll talk more about that but yeah I don't know is that a good enough <laughs> a good enough definition for today? Yeah, definitely. That's that's a fantastic definition. I think that the things that you pointed out about the flourishing and the languishing and 
that's often something that people struggle with is um, you may not have a diagnosis of mental illness, like you said, but you might be really struggling with something and need some support. And reaching out to get that support doesn't mean anything else other than you just need support. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really important to, to remember that, that, there's, that there's different aspects of needing that support and, and we should all reach out when we need some assistance. Right. And I, I guess the other piece of that is when you don't, when you don't know yourself and those triggers, that, that place where you're kind of going down the rabbit hole, um, for lack of a better word, and it's different for everybody, that not reaching out for support in whatever way makes sense to you. Some people, it's just getting out in nature and not actually getting support from people. It's from the land, it's from animals, it's from all of those things. It, it's different for everyone, but it can push you into that, you know, that place where um, you are developing a mental illness and, and do require maybe more um, significant s- supports and medication and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think what you said there about every individual needs something different is something that we're finding in the Rural Men's Mental Health Project that we're working on right now is just the diverse nature of people's needs within the mental health system and and what that looks like. And whether it be formal support or informal support, like you talked about there with just getting into nature or being with your family or doing something you love, and that might be what you need to get your mental health in in a better direction. Mm -hmm. So when we think about that, what do we know about rural men's mental health right now? What does the research tell us about what's going on in rural areas like Westman and um, other regions such as this? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the research is emerging. Um, we have some ideas um, because thankfully um, the kind of research that I've at least I've been aware of, made aware of with the Center for Rural Mental Health and others um, like it are the approach that they're taking is very much tell us what you know, tell us what your experience is. And um, I think that's the most important information that we can go on. I liked what you said about diversity because I've lived, well, not just in rural Manitoba, I've lived in urban centers, I've lived internationally. And what I see coming back to live and work out of a rural area, I, I live in on and all, which is a tiny community in the wintertime and then explodes in the summer, um, <clears throat> is that what I'm learning about rural Manitoba uh, is that it's becoming more and more diverse. So, you know, Manitoba is unique in that when you ask people, what does rural mean? I mean, I know there's, there are definitions that geographers use and definitions that urban planners use and different definitions out there. But in Manitoba, because half of our population is based in Winnipeg, the most common experience or description of rural is anyone living outside of the city of Winnipeg. (laughs) And that's, I don't know if there's any other province that's like that. Even our closest um, neighbor in Saskatchewan has two major centers, a lot of smaller rural communities that are connected to them. But in Manitoba, we've got Winnipeg and then we've got everything you know, outside of that. And we all sort of think of ourselves in some respects as being rural. So rural Manitoba is, like I said, diverse. We have a large number of newcomers that are moving to places like Portage La Prairie, you know, Southeastern Manitoba, uh, Nipua, you know, in my community of Onanol and Erickson, when we were trying to list the number, a few people that I am involved with, with the local food bank, we were trying to come up with 
languages that would express you are welcome here. And we came up with like 10 different languages that we needed to find that translation for because those are all the peoples that reside or have resided in our area, including all of the indigenous populations in and around those, those communities. So, so just as an example, very diverse linguistically, diverse culturally, there's more and more people from urban areas that are moving into rural areas, some of whom are you know, setting up businesses or small farms, some who are commuting back and forth into the city. And so anyway, that diversity of experience just creates different values, attitudes, et cetera. So it's not the way it used to be is what I guess I where I'm going with this. And that applies to our perceptions and experiences around mental health and how people think about it, how they experience it, how they reach out, you know, or don't reach out for help. You know, because I, for the last 18 years, I guess, um, managed the Manitoba Farm Rural and Northern Support Services, a large focus for us was on agricultural mental health and sort of the experiences of that <clears throat> particular population. So even there, you know, I can see that there are changes from, from when we first started doing the line in, it started in the year 2000. And at the, at the beginning, it was very hard to talk about this. It wasn't a, a subject that was even on the radar. And so when we would go out to trade shows, you remember back in the day when there used to be, you know, in-person <laughs> gatherings such as egg days, uh, sadly, egg days has been postponed. But I mean, we're talking thousands of people come through the door from all over Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, even into the States for that three-day event. And we would always set up a display there and it was around mental health. And at the beginning, it was almost impossible to get people to come to our booth. But, you know, over time, I think thanks largely to some of the research that's been done on agricultural mental health, there's a new foundation called Do More Egg. They've really broken some of the stigma around mental health through a whole series of tweets on um, the issue of raising awareness around suicide, uh, particularly among men, and that we need to talk about it. So there's been like a lot of stigma breaking within the agricultural industry, which I think has translated into more people, and it is still a, a male-dominated industry, more men starting to talk about their own life experience and encouraging others to do the same. So those are some of the things I, I think I'm seeing there's been a lot of research around um, agricultural men's mental health, which is encouraging. And so that's yeah. me. I went on a little tangent there. No, and that's great when you talk about agricultural mental health, because when you think of the Prairie Provinces and you think outside of Winnipeg, most people automatically think of rural environments with large farms and family farms and that traditional agricultural environment. Um, I know I grew personally grew up in Winnipeg, but I knew I was in the country the second I passed Headingley and I saw the, the, the grain fields starting to come up. So when we're thinking about agricultural and agricultural men and, and how we create service for individuals such as this, and then you also mentioned the diversity and the diversity of the Prairie Provinces and the diversity of these areas and the newcomers that are coming into these areas, it makes a very kind of complicated service delivery system. Mm -hmm. So 
when you're thinking about the Manitoba Farm Rural and Northern Support Services and the things that you used to do within that line, what kind of topics do people call and want to talk about when they're looking for support or they're trying to seek out support for something to do with their mental health? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So yeah, the Farm Rural and Northern Support Services is a 24-7 service for anyone um, outside of the city of Winnipeg. So farmers, rural Manitobans, and northerners. We also have an online chat service. Um, that one is currently on hold just because of the call volumes related to COVID. But yes, yeah, so the most common issues and concerns over my time that I've been with them um, have to do with financial stress. So no surprise on the farm, it's one of the most stressful situations that, that farmers encounter, which then has that ripple effect of affecting everything else. Relationship stress, again, not that's a human condition. We, we all experience that from time to time, but again, added to the additional stresses that, that farmers experience around weather and markets and government programs and, and just the, the overall uncertainty within the industry, the spillover can have a, uh, an effect on one's own mental health, but also their relationship with their, their family members, many of whom also work on the farm. So that's what another u- unique part of farming is that the your home and work is really connected oftentimes. Um, even, if, even if a farmer is working on their own, they're still coming back to the home site, which is connected to the farm oftentimes. So yeah, getting that work-life balance. Farmers tend to be relentless workers, which they take a lot of pride in, but certainly uh, one of our messages has always been that, you know, the importance of taking a break, even if those are mini breaks throughout the day, taking a vacation when when you can, even when it doesn't feel possible, like just at least planning those little breaks in and, and certainly taking care of uh, your basic needs, sleep, exercise, eating, etc. Relationships, financial stress, anxiety, depression, um, and thoughts of suicide. So going back to the, the research, in 2016, the University of Guelph launched this groundbreaking, I would say, for Canada study of farmers across Canada. They interviewed 1,100 farmers, and what they discovered was quite concerning. So of these 1,100 farmers, 35% met the criteria for depression, 58% met the criteria for anxiety, 45% were highly stressed. I mean, when you compare to the, uh, the, the general population, those are very concerning numbers. What we don't have good research on, unfortunately, in Canada is suicides, farm suicides. The reason is, is that coroner's reports don't often include that information. So we just don't have the stats around it. Anecdotally, we know any you know given time we go out into the community and we are talking to people or when we're talking to people on the line we we know that it's that it's a problem in in rural Manitoba and particularly on the farm when you take the other stat I wanted to share was that 40 percent of those people were uneasy with seeking professional help so you've got on the one hand this very high stress levels and risk of anxiety and depression you've got low help seeking behaviors and then I would add to that the particular risks of um, access to lethal means. So access to guns, you know, there's not a farmer out there that probably doesn't have a firearm of some sort. Chemicals, um, even like tractor rollovers and, and that kind of thing. So they are an at-risk population for sure. 
you know, when it comes to mental health promotion and how do we respond to this evidence that we have in front of us. So when we, we compare the Canadian data with uh, World Health Organization data, when we compare it with other studies that have been done in the US, India, you know, Australia, across the board, farming is considered one of the highest risk industries in the world. Mm. And, and those countries that do have stats around suicide on the, on the farm also indicate that they are a high risk populations. So what do we need to do? It's kind of the next thing. What do we need to do? I think there's not any one answer to that. The first thing is we need to ask farmers what they need um, and expand to that is we need to ask men what they need because the farming industry is still so um, male dominated. I think there's, there's some generalizations that we could make within the diverse population uh, of men is that they tend to have, uh, some would call it toxic masculinity. I, I would say that, that, yes, that's sort of, that's there as well for some men, but certainly men as a, as a rule are socialized to kind of stop their feelings right from an early age, even from in utero, when we have, you know, gender reveal parties from the get-go before that baby's even being born, we are suggesting what path they should be taking. We know there are many gender identities, not just the two, but certainly men uh, are socialized and uh, thankfully this is changing, but they are socialized to man up, not talk about their feelings. Um, I think they're, they're also encouraged to still be seen as the protectors of others, but not necessarily the protectors of themselves. So when we hear from men on the line, it's often when they're at that breaking point or when they've, when they've either been trying all their coping mechanisms and nothing's working, but they're also too afraid or don't feel it's a, it's a good idea to involve family members or other supports. So I think, I feel like there's a basket of services that are needed and we need to meet people where they're at and what makes sense for them. So the Farm Rural and Northern Support Service is great in that it's free, it's confidential. The counselors all have either farming backgrounds or are sensitive to the issues around farming. We're, we're constantly providing in servicing for our counselors around some of the unique uh, needs, challenges, experiences, and, and as well as the wonderful parts of, of being on the farm, not just the, the deficits kind of place, but just so they're really under, you know, can understand where, where the person's coming from. And hopefully once our chat service gets up and going and we want to move to texting as well, there will be those kinds of ways for all rural Manitobans and those living in the North to contact them through various channels by phone, text, or chat. Manitoba is also really fortunate in that we have community mental health workers in every regional health authority. And these are people that live and work in communities. So they're familiar with the needs of those communities. They're an amazing resource and they're within our health system. So there's, it's free. Um, I know in Winnipeg that most of the mental health workers, their focus is on those with persistent um, mental illness, but outside of Winnipeg, they see everybody for everything. There's, there's no issue that, that they don't see um, folks with. And many of them have been trained 
right out of BU in the psych nursing program. So something to be really proud of. The other service that I, I think is really important to mention is the mobile crisis units and crisis stabilization units. So mobile crisis, again, every RHA has a, a mobile unit. And these are trained mental health workers who will come to your home, meet you in a coffee shop or somewhere else that you mutually agree upon and kind of assess where things are at. If you need to go to a safe place and just kind of De, you know, stabilize and, and get back on your feet again. Most areas also have a crisis stabilization unit. So Brandon has one. Other regions also have some form of a, of a CSU. Those are the main ones that we refer to. Of course, there's private therapists that people can access or they may have access through an EAP program, uh, employee assistance program, if, if someone is working in an organization or workplace that, that provides that kind of insurable service. I'm wondering if I'm forgetting anything. Uh, your, your family doctor, you know, like your family doctor is often your first point of contact because what we have heard from people and particularly men who call the line is that they're often calling about a physical health complaint, whether that be, I, I'm not sleeping well, or, you know, I'm having chest pains or a lot of these are stress related. And if they can list those concerns before they go into the to see their doctor or better yet, if their doctor and nurse practitioners asking the right questions to kind of get to the bottom of, of what's going on um, and then to connect them with, with help. Did I, did I answer your questions, Candice? Yeah, that's fantastic. You just listed off some absolutely phenomenal services that people can, can access in order to assist in their mental health. And I think one of the things that you mentioned right there too, that's really important is just this idea of of getting over the stigma of requiring mental health services. Everybody requires support at some point in their lives. And I, I, I'm really happy to hear that some of that idea of mental health services in rural populations, especially with men is starting to shift. That's really exciting that that might be happening and that people might be reaching out for assistance when they need it. I know in the, in the research that we worked on through the Center of Critical Studies of Rural Mental Health, one of the things that came out was that men themselves talk about the fact that they really need to do the work when it comes to mental health. And I like that saying because it's associating already a hardworking population with something else that they need to do for them. And I remember back when we first started that project, there was a, a commercial that we heard of from Australia or New Zealand that said, the most important piece of machinery on the farm is you. And I think that's also something that we can kind of reflect on when we're talking about men's mental health and men's rural mental health and farmers' mental health is just, they're not going to run a good farm if they're not taking care of themselves first. Oh, so, yeah, we actually ran a campaign called Healthy Farmers Equals Healthy Farms. And that was exactly it. Is that, you know, I think farmers are, like you said, they're doers, they're resourceful, they want to figure things out and they want to get to a solution because they know that if they don't look after themselves, then the farm's going to fail and they are a business. So they don't have those safeguards or, you know, safety nets that a lot of people do. So that's, that is really good messaging, particularly for that, that population. I also think when a person is in crisis, they're often not the best people to be looking out for themselves. You know that better than I your cognitive abilities get really um, constricted 
and you know your ability to kind of problem solve and, and figure things out gets really you know you're just more vulnerable so I think equally important messaging is that we we want people of course to be aware of their own levels of stress and what kind of makes them tick and when they're when they're not doing well and to reach out for help but we also I think it's incumbent upon those of us in the helping fields to do that gatekeeper training like to train the the family the friends the 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 seed reps the the elevator operators the people who work with agriculture just because we're talking about that population but anyone who kind of sees someone in distress or sees changes in behaviors there's some really great training out there that is either low cost or no cost mental health first aid is a terrific two-day program that's available in most uh, regions there's also assist which is a two-day suicide prevention um, and intervention training both of those are starting to go online assist has a one hour start so it's an it's online training it's again really cost um, effective and it's great for people to take this training so that you can be aware of what you can do as a bystander because Many people take first aid training, but not necessarily mental health first aid training. And what's really exciting around ag mental health is there's a new program um, that I'm involved with called In the Know. And it's a a mental health literacy program or gatekeeper training that is coming out in the new year here in Manitoba, Ontario, and probably other provinces, which was developed by and for farmers. So I'm really excited about that. I'll let you know more when I when I hear about dates and locations. But then finally, like there's the buddyup.ca, which has just launched their new uh, website. It's out of the Center for Suicide Prevention in Calgary. It's a men's mental health and suicide prevention campaign, but also research and and tools, a toolkit that people can um, go to if they want to learn more about men and suicide prevention. It's really plain language. It's really accessible. Um, there's the men's sheds, which have, are popping up all over the place of um, really tapping into that doing part, you know, men coming together, working on projects, whether it be woodworking or building birdhouses, or there's one in Dauphin and Brandon and Winnipeg. I'm, I'm sure there's others out there that I'm not familiar with, but it's, you know, using their hands to build something together, which then breaks isolation, increases social connection. And many of these groups are also kind of um, organically talking about mental health and what it means to them. I think those are really exciting, as well as all the social media campaigns. There's great social media campaigns that happen. Right now is Movember. So we're having men talk about their mental health um, as they grow their beards and mustaches. And men talking to other men, I think, is probably the best tool. Yeah, definitely. Normalizing it, right? Normalizing that it's okay to talk to other people about these things and that, you know, you can talk to your buddies about it, just like you talk about other other issues in, in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Janet. Thank you for listening to the Research Connection podcast. You can visit our website for links to everything that was mentioned in the episode and for more Research Connection content at www.brandonu.ca slash bu-cares. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you can stay up to date with current research that impacts your community. Thank you.